All right, we are in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Just glad you're all here this morning. And we are looking at verses now 15 through 23. We finished 1 through 14 last week. We've actually been in Romans since January of last year, so a year and four months or so. I think I'm actually moving pretty fast. There is a, a man named, he's gone to be home with the Lord, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. He was considered one of the greatest pastors in his time. He preached in London. He took almost 13 years to work through Romans. He did it on Friday night, so he was preaching one message on Sunday, preaching another message on Friday. So I'm not going to take 13 years. Look, I'm already... We're already through with chapter 6 almost. It's only been a year and, and some change, so I think I'm moving pretty quick. But we're moving at the pace we're moving because of the, the subject matter of Romans. It's, some of it's difficult, some of it's a little complex, but it's very important. Very important that we get it. It's the foundation blocks for our salvation. If we miss what's in Romans, then we will misunderstand Many other things that are very important to our sanctification, to our Christianity, to the way we tell people about Christ. So, here we go. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. And if, I don't, if you don't have a Bible, use one of those blue Bibles. What page is that on in the blue Bibles, by the way? What's that? I have no idea. 943? 943. Is that correct? That'll bring you to Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Now listen, my brothers and sisters in Christ, do do you really want to experience the blessed life that God intends and desires for his redeemed people? Yes? Yes. More importantly, do you want your life to truly honor and glorify the Lord? You do? And just so you know, those two are inextricably linked. What do I mean by that? I mean, you can't disconnect those. If your life is not being lived to honor the Lord, then you will not experience the blessed life that God intends for you. You will not. And if you are experiencing the blessed life that God intends for you, then your life will be honoring the Lord. Now, by blessed life, I don't mean big houses and fancy cars. Nothing wrong with those things. You may have them. More power to you. That's not what I mean. I mean a life that is being sanctified, that's looking more and more like Christ, a life that's becoming more and more free from sin. That's the blessed life. The life that has true peace and joy and contentment that only a Christian can really know. That's the blessed life. A life that is not constantly dealing with all the consequences of a life that is given over to sin. That's the blessed life. And that is the life that honors and glorifies the Lord. You with me? Well, if those things are important to you, I hope they are. If they're important to you, then the text before us this morning is going to be important to you. You need to understand it. You need to know what it says. And you need to apply it to your life. Okay? Now, before we get into the text in Romans 6, listen, listen closely to me. Ever since the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ began to be preached by the apostles 
of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago now. Almost 2,000 years. That message being primarily that a sinner is made right with God, saved from his wrath, and receives eternal life. How? By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in who? In Christ alone. Ever since that message, the gospel has been preached. And by the way, any sinner, doesn't matter how rotten they are, how far they fall, any sinner can be saved and is saved only that way, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Ever since that message has been preached, it has also been perverted. It's a weird way to pronounce that. Perverted and twisted to mean things that God never intended it to mean. Let me show you what I'm talking about from the scriptures. The book of Jude was written by, guess who? Jude. Yes, it's titled after its author. And Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. That's the author. I call him half-brother because they had different dads. They had different dads. Yes, amen, right? These are, see these kind of things? We, we speak a certain way because we want our speech to be informed by the word of God. We want it to be accurate. So we say certain things. At least we should. It was written around 68 AD. So first century. It was written to Christians, urging them to fight for the truth. To fight for the truth. Uh, the truth being the teachings or the doctrines of Christianity that had been entrusted to the readers by the apostles of Christ. Entrusted. These, this Christianity had been given to the believers to take care of, to protect, to preserve, to defend, to make sure that nobody twists it or perverts it or undoes it. Okay? Entrusted. Right? So if I entrust my children to you, what am I anticipating? I might entrust them to you for a few hours. What do I expect? You're going to take care of them. You're going to protect them. You're going to watch over them. The doctrines of Christianity presented to us by the apostles of Jesus Christ were entrusted to the Christians, to the saints of the churches, and they were then given the task of defending those very truths, of protecting them from those who would like to twist them. And it is believed at this time that Jude was written that with the exception of the apostle John, all the other apostles had been, they were dead. They had been killed, martyred for their faith. Now, why did Jude believe it was necessary to urge Christians to fight for the truth, for Christian truth? Well, because it was under attack. It was under attack. From whom? From people in the church. People in the church, at least associated with the church, were twisting and perverting the truth of Christianity. What truth? The truth concerning the grace of God. And beloved, the truths or the, the attacks on the truths of the gospel, in case you were not aware, they continue until this day. They haven't stopped. They haven't gone away. There's, the gospel is still regularly and consistently under attack. Even 
in houses of so-called worship by men who supposedly are preachers of the word. The gospel is under attack. It is being twisted. It is being perverted. And if we are unaware of these attacks, if we don't even know that they're going on, that there really is a war, if we're not careful or diligent in our thinking about the gospel to make sure that our thinking actually aligns with God's word, or another way to say that, what the apostles really taught concerning the gospel. If we're not careful, beloved, then we run the real risk of believing a lie. Of believing a lie. And this isn't just any lie. This isn't, you know, this white lie, it's not a big deal, it won't, it won't ruin you. No, this, these kind of lies can ruin you. They can destroy you. They can wreak havoc in your life if you believe a lie about the gospel. Either that you're made up in your own mind because you don't know the truth, or because someone else perverted and twisted the truth and you bought into the lie because you didn't know any better. You didn't even know there was a battle going on. There is. It's been going on since the truth went out. The enemy has been fighting it. Okay? If we submit to that lie in any way, buy into it in any way, beloved, it can definitely undermine our ability, our ability to truly honor the Lord and experience the blessed life that God desires for us and that we say we want. See, this is how this all connects. The gospel of Jesus Christ, rightly understanding it, believing it, is directly linked with whether or not you will live the blessed life, with whether or not you'll honor the Lord. Do you understand the stakes now? Do you understand the stakes? They're huge. They're huge. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Jude. This is all introduction to the text. Two-parter again. We'll finish this up next week, part one today. But, you know, these things that we, are, we discuss, they're not... They're not minimal things. They're not minor things. These are important things. This is why I spend the time I do. The culture that we live in is biblically illiterate. They don't know the word of God. What they do know is minimal. Minimal for the most part. Jesus died to save my soul. Well, that's true. But there's so much under that. So much in that, so much more to our Christianity than that. And for some, all they know is that. Listen, Jude, it's one chapter, verse 3. Let me read this to you. I'm reading it in the uh, NIV translation this morning. Here's what the half-brother of Jesus wrote to his readers. Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, dear friends, he's writing to Christians, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. Listen, this is what I intended to do. I wanted to, I wanted to get all excited and fired up and write to you about the blessings of the wonderful salvation that we have in common in Jesus Christ. That's what I wanted to write to you. That's what I set out to do. But I had to write to you about something else. I, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend. You see that word contend? You see it up there? Contend. Synonyms for that word would be fight. I just put ice in my mouth like an idiot, and now I can't get it out, so give me a second. Thank you for the cold water with the ice. 
Ah, dear. Okay, so I had to write to you to contend. So fight, struggle, strive, combat, battle. Those are all synonyms for that word. Do you get it? That's, uh, listen, I want to I talk about how awesome our salvation is, but instead, I got to write to you. There's something very urgent. I got to write to you to fight for what? The faith. The faith. Definite article. The faith. Not your faith. Not your faith. He's talking about the faith. That was a way of referring to Christian doctrine, the doctrines of Christianity, the truths of Christianity. The faith. I got to write to you to fight for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Remember what I was talking about? Entrusted. It was handed over to the Christians by who? The apostles of Jesus Christ. The authorized representatives, messengers of Jesus Christ, they handed it over. Here it is. Christianity. We're handing it over to you. We're going to go bye-bye. We're going to be martyred. We're going to be killed. It's now under your care. Take care of it. Protect it. Defend it. Because it's going to be under attack. It already is under attack. People will twist it and pervert it. Look at what he says, verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Among you. They are godless men who change. One translation says pervert. Pervert. Who change or pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now listen, <clears throat> this was written 2,000 years ago. Deny there is not like they deny that Jesus Christ exists. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying they deny him. They deny who he is. They deny his lordship. How? By what they teach concerning grace by their very lives. They deny that Jesus Christ is Lord over them. They deny it. How do they do that? By perverting the grace of God, by changing it into a license for immorality. They made the grace of God out to be something that God never intended it to be. What? That is permission or license for the Christian to sin or live immorally. To live immorally. You know what license is, right? I recently got my motorcycle's license. You can pray for me. And so before I got that license, I had a permit, and I wasn't allowed to do certain things, like ride people on the back of my bike or ride on the freeway or ride at night. But now I have my license. So a license permits you to do something. It qualifies you to do something that you didn't do before, okay? So what he's saying is they've taken the grace of God, and they're saying the grace of God is actually permission to sin, So the way that they would look at this is it, it doesn't matter how the Christian lives because of God's grace, or they were free to, to live however they chose, free even to disobey the Lord if they wanted to, free to sin. Why? Why were they free to sin? Well, according to them, it's because of grace. We're covered by grace. Now listen, beloved, while it is true, here's what's true, here's what we've already learned. It is true that God's grace, or it is God's grace, that makes and keeps the Christian right with and acceptable to God. Did you hear me? 
It is the grace of God that keeps the Christian. It begins in grace. It makes the Christian, the person who places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes them right with God. And it's the very same grace that we stand in that keeps us right with God, that keeps us justified even when we do sin or fail to obey God. It is the grace of God that keeps us right with God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It is the grace of God. So that is exciting. But here's what is not true. That being under grace means that we are free to sin. In fact, it is the opposite. The truth is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that as we shall see as we now look at this text here in Romans chapter 6 verses 15 through 23. Okay, we'll see what it means to be under grace. And it's not that. It's not a license for immorality. It is not freedom to sin. It is something entirely opposite of that. And it is important for us to get that, to believe that, and live according to that truth. Understand? Because that same lie that Jude was writing to It exists even today. I've heard it. And I've heard people buy into it. And in many cases, they don't even know any better. Because in so many churches today, they don't spend any time really going through the teachings of the Scripture. Little mini sermonettes, 20 minutes long to make you feel better and pat you on the back. And then you go your way. Never really dealing with what the Word of God says concerning these very important issues. So we're going to do that, okay? We're going to do that. By the way, in many Bibles, there are titles placed above. If you have your Bible, just take a look. There are titles placed above the different sections or parts of the books or letters in the Bible that are put there by the publishers to give give a summary of that section. Do you see that in your Bibles? There'll be a, a, a chapter, it's not really a chapter title, it's a section title, because there might be multiple chapters within the title. Those, aren't, those are put there by the publisher, so they're different depending on who published that Bible. And again, they're just a summary statement of that section you're going to read. Do you see it? Okay. Here are the various titles I found for Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Here they are. Slaves to Righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. That's in the English Standard Version and the New International Version. How about this? Slaves to right living. Slaves to right living. Right living is like another way of saying righteousness. That's another translation. How about this one? From slaves of sin to slaves of God. That's the New King James Version. How about this one? The believer's enslavement of God's righteousness. That's the Net Bible. Uh, By the way, those are all good summaries or summary titles of this section, of what it teaches. And I think they might help you understand why I titled the sermon. What did I title the sermon? We are under a new master. Do you see where this sermon's going? Can you figure it out? Give you a heads up. You see where it's going? That's where it's going, right there. We are under a new master. Pay attention to Paul's, as we read the text, pay attention to this. Paul repeats a word eight times. Eight times. Slaves. Slaves. Let's read the text. And by the way, we're going to be in the text next week. So let me ask you to do something I've asked you to do before. Would you read this entire section, 15 through 23? Would you read and reread it and meditate on it this week? 
And so when we come back next week, it'll, you'll, be, you'll be saturated with the Word of God, and you'll be ready to hear the rest of the sermon. All right, beginning in verse 15. Follow along with me as we read the inspired Word of God. What then, Paul says, what then, verse 15, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? What's the answer? By no means. You see the exclamation point? Because it's there. By no means. <laughs> Do you not know? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? (laughs) But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning we're going to look at, well, we'll begin to look at four statements, this is in your bulletin, that we must understand and apply. We've got to know what what they mean, we've got to see them in the text, and we've got to apply them to our lives so that we'll fully experience the wonderful blessings of our great salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just check again. How many of you want to live the blessed life? Amen. It seems like less than before, so I'm doing a poor, poor job. (laughs) How many? Amen. All right. You guys get excited about football games and, and Facebook and all of this stuff. And we're here with the Word of God. And I say, hey, how many of you want to live the blessed life? Amen. Yeah, that was a cue to give it a little more punch, right? But hopefully it's just not, you know, I'm just making this up. Hopefully, check yourself, okay? Check yourself. If there's no desire for that, there's something wrong. There's something seriously wrong. Let's gather a little context before we look. Oh, the points. Okay, so the Christian, the person under grace is never free to sin. We'll look at that one today. We'll start to look at number two, maybe. The Christian has become the slave of a new master. Three, the Christian must serve his new master as he did his old one. And fourth, the Christian's relationship to his new master leads to sanctification and eternal life. This is a wonderful relationship. This is a good master. It leads to sanctification and eternal life. Now, let's get, gather, like I said, a little context before we look at verse 15. In verse 1 of chapter 6, do you remember that? Several, like a month and a half ago we were there. What shall we say then? That's what Paul said. That was the question he put forth. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in grace? I'm sorry. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That was chapter 6, verse 1, or increase. Is that what we're supposed to do? Answer, of course not. That is entirely the wrong way 
to think about the reason for or purpose of God's grace. That's wrong. You're thinking wrong about grace if that's what you think. And then in verse 2, as a follow-up to the question to verse 1, Paul asks, how can we who died to sin still possibly live or continue in it? Right? Do you remember all this? Some of you that have been with us? And we've spent some time, some considerable time, going over what it means that the Christian has died to sin. Right? So if you weren't here, no problem. It's all caught on digital, whatever you call it. What? Oh, it's online, yeah. I can't say tape. You know, we used to catch it on tape, and we'd give you tapes. It's digitally caught. You could go back and listen to it, and I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to get what Romans 6, 1 through 14 says. It's important. We died to sin. What does that mean? It's awesome. It's important. It, it, we're building on that now. And so we carefully examine verses 3 through 14, and we're not going to go over all that again. We took six, seven weeks, I think, to do that, but to briefly summarize, to briefly summarize... By sake of our union with Christ, and more specifically, his death and resurrection, we who are Christians have been set free from sins, enslaving, rule, and reign, and we have been empowered now to walk in newness of life, in newness of life, to truly live for and honor God. And it is in light of that, that truth, that Paul exhorts us as Christians to offer all that we are, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, offer all that we are as instruments or weapons of righteousness to be used in the hands of God rather than as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to be used in the hands of sin. And throughout this text, Paul is personifying, that's a fancy word, he's personifying sin. He's basically treating sin like a king, like a person. So you can think of it that way. Sin has that kingly rule and reign over you. No longer you've been set free in Christ. And you've been risen with Christ to walk in newness of life, to honor the Lord. Now it's at the end of this sec- that section, in verse 14, 1 through 14, that Paul assures his Christian readers that sin will never again have dominion over them. Sin will never be their master. And the reason why, according to Paul? Well, it's because the Christian is no longer under law, but under grace. It's there in your Bibles. Verse 14, the Christian is, this is why. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Why? Because the Christian is no longer under law, but under grace. How many of you just, maybe you don't, how many of you hear that statement? You don't have to answer, I just want you to think. You hear that statement, you go, ooh, that sounds strange. That we're not under law? What does that mean? Now see, if you don't know what that means, if you've never worked through it, okay, we're going to work through it. But it's important that you understand what that means. So many times Christians come across things that are difficult or they kind of take them back and they go, ah, not important, I'll just keep moving on. No, it's there, (laughs) it's included because it's important. That's why it's there. So we need to understand it. We need to wrestle with it. Now, the, the statement concerning the law of God, like I said, is quite a statement. It would have been quite a statement to make, especially among a Jewish audience that was part of this crowd. What are you, what? What are you talking about, Paul? And Paul will deal more fully with that issue in chapter 7. That's when I'm going to deal with it, okay, when we get to chapter 7. But what I want to point out right now is that there are two possible responses that that statement could have produced, 
that we are not under law but under grace. You're no longer under the dominion of sin. Why? Because you're not under law but under grace. Here's the first one. Follow me. The first one might be something like this. Paul, you must not be serious. I mean, you can't tell people they are not under the law, Paul. You can't do that. That's not right. Because what will deter them from sinning? That's a possible response. That's what they would be thinking. What would deter them from sinning? Now, it's funny because it's not funny, but when we get to chapter 7, you'll find out that the law actually doesn't deter people. It doesn't deter a sinner from sinning. It actually entices the sinner. Wow, that's interesting. That's chapter 7, so you've got to hold on. You can read it. You can read it, but it'll take us a little bit to get there and work through it. And so that person might say, Paul, if you say people are not under the law, if that's, what, if that's what the gospel is, man, this could lead to an increase of sin and lawlessness, and I'm sure God isn't in favor of that. Paul, you must be wrong. That's one response, okay? Here's the other response, and it might be not one of concern, but one of excitement. One of excitement. <laughs> yes, Paul, that is just what I have been waiting to hear, because the law is such a burden it is such a burden to be under, so, whoo, I am free now to do what I want. I don't answer to the law anymore. I can sin even if I choose because I have been released from the law. That word, that phrase, released from the law, is exactly how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. He'll, say, he'll also say we died to the law, died to it, we've been released from it, we're no longer under it. As Christians. And so that person might be saying, the one who's excited about such things, who still doesn't understand everything quite right, whoa, I'm under grace. I'm free, baby. I can do what I want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, listen, both of those responses, both of them, fail to understand or take into account what it really means to be under grace. God's grace as a Christian. They fail. See, all the person hears is, I'm not under the law. Wait a minute, that's not what Paul said in its entirety. He said the Christian is not under the law, but rather they are now under grace, right? It's not that we're not under anything. We're under the power of something. No longer the law, but of Say it with me. Grace. We're under grace. Don't miss it. Right? Don't miss it. That's important. And being under grace, the Christian is not free to do anything they want. That's what you're going to learn here. Or to sin. Rather, listen, the Christian has been rescued from their enslavement to sin, and they have now, being under grace, been placed under a new master. They have been made, rather, a slave of righteousness. That's what Paul says. That's how he, he says it in verse 18. A slave of God, verse 22. And this change of bondage from being a slave of sin to becoming a slave of God, guess what? It's not detrimental to the Christian. When you were a slave to sin, it was detrimental to you. It was ruining you, and in the end, it would separate you permanently from God. But under this relationship, master and slave, no. It's a blessing to that person 
because it leads to sanctification or their holiness or them becoming more like Christ, which is really the key to having a blessed life and being able to honor the Lord. Let me ask one more time. How many of you want to live the blessed life and honor the Lord? Wow, good, excellent. More of you now for sure. More of you now for sure. Now, that all brings me to the first statement in the outline that we must understand and apply. These are simple, really. These are simple. Let's just follow through. Now that we've, we've kind of given some context, some historical understanding, let's kind of work through this. Being under God's grace, beloved, this is simple, does not give us permission to sin, okay? It does not give us permission to sin. You, you've misunderstood grace. If that's what you think, that's what it's about. Rather, being under God's grace, the Christian is never free to sin, Now, did I say the Christians don't sin? No, of course not, because the Bible doesn't say that, and we know that's not our experience. Christians still sin. What I'm saying is the Christian is not free to sin. They are not free to sin, being under grace. That's the first point. Look at verse 15. So simple. What then? Now, remember, this comes off of verse 14. Paul makes that statement, and now he anticipates exactly what the issue is going to be because he made that statement. We're not under law, but under grace. Woo! Does that mean we can do what we want? We can sin even. I guess it doesn't matter. No. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? What's the answer? We already looked at it. By no means. Beloved, we could stop right there and go home. That should be enough for you. By, it's clear, right? How do you, there's no other way to understand that. There's not 50 different interpretations. By no means. May it never be. Certainly not. That's what that means. Are you out of your mind? Or maybe you've just been exposed to very bad teaching, those who pervert or twist the doctrines of grace for their own sinful passions and desires, trying to justify their ungodly lifestyle. Hey, you can do what you want, man. You're free. You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. Really? Because that's not what the Word of God says. It says by no means. But you know, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to explain why he says what he says. But I also want you to notice that he doesn't back away from what he said in verse 14. He doesn't back away. He doesn't doesn't say, oh, wait a minute. I didn't mean to say that the Christian is not under law, but under grace. He doesn't do that. He sticks with what he said. But he immediately makes it clear that being under grace rather than the law in no way gives the Christian license or permission to sin. So listen, if, if at any time in your Christian life, okay, you conclude in your mind that it doesn't matter if you sin or not because you're under grace and not law, then you know what? You're not thinking rightly. Hello? You're not thinking rightly at that point, Okay? You, you've been duped for a moment. Your mind is not properly aligned with the Word of God at that moment. And consequently, beloved, if you continue to think like that, there is no doubt in my mind that you will go on to dishonor the Lord. You see how the connection works? You'll dishonor Him. And you, as a result, will bring unnecessary havoc chaos and ruin into your life. You know, okay, listen, you know that sin, okay, let me say it this way. You know that our actions have consequences, right? Do you know that? That's how God set up his world. 
this law of sowing and reaping that the gospel prosperity gospel teachers have twisted to say, hey, if you sow 10 bucks into my ministry, you'll reap 1,000. And so if you sow 100, you'll reap 10,000. You know, they've taken this I mean, craziness, this sow and reap. No, listen, God set up his world, sow and reap. If you sow sin, you're going to reap the consequences of that. If you sow unto righteousness, you'll reap the consequences of that. That's how God sets it up, right? So that you will learn. You will learn that not to sin anymore, that it's a bad thing to do. It's like, you know, you stick your, your finger on the hot stove, and guess what happens? There's a consequence to doing that, pain. Imagine if that wasn't there. Imagine if the pain, your pain, for some people, they don't have that. They don't have the pain center. So what would happen? They would stick their finger there. It would continue to burn. Do you understand what? Bad stuff, bad stuff. So when we sin, beloved, yes, we have forgiveness in Christ, but that does not mean we won't experience the consequences of our sin. And so that's why this is so important. As a pastor watching Christians live as if they are still enslaved to sin and then watching them have to reap all the consequences of that mess. When they are not enslaved to sin, rather they are now enslaved to God and they must live that way. And if they'll live that way, oh, how they would experience the blessed life. Oh, how their lives would honor the Lord. Oh, how many less tears and heartache would they experience We must think rightly, beloved, about our salvation. We must think rightly about the gospel, about the grace of God. You know why? Because right thinking concerning the scriptures leads to right living, and right living leads to the blessed life. If you don't think rightly about the gospel, about grace, about what God has done in your life and is doing in your life, if you don't think rightly about why he gave you his spirit... Why do you think he gave you his Holy Spirit? That you might be made holy. That's why he gave you his Spirit. There's a lot of craziness about why people think God gave us his Spirit. I'm going to tell you why. To sanctify you. To transform you. To change you into the image of Jesus Christ. Because our God is a loving God. A loving Father. A caring Father. He knows what the life of sin leads to. You think he wants that for his children? No. So he set them free. He empowered them. And he brought them under his sovereign care and ownership. That we might live for him now. But we got to think rightly about these things. So Paul follows up verse 15. And he uses an image of slavery to help his readers understand there. I mean, 14 is clear, but here, let's look at 15. He uses this image, 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 imagery of slavery to say, to tell you why Christians under grace and not under law are never free to sin. Look at verse 16. So it's in 16, actually. 16, following up 15. Do you not know? So he just told us. Are you, to, are you, are you, you think you can sin because you're not under law but under grace? Are you kidding? By no means. Now, Listen, do you not know? Come on, this is common knowledge. Do you not know, at least among his readers, it was common knowledge, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, if you do that, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. He's not just talking about physical death there. He's saying separation from God. That's, that's the, 
The end road to that road, that's where it leads. That's its destination, eternal separation from God. Or, or there's another way of obedience, slavery to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, just follow me. The idea of presenting yourself to someone as their obedient slave, because that's what he's saying here, if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, does that idea sound strange to you just at first? Does it sound a little strange that you present yourself to someone as an obedient slave? Now listen, remember this was written in the first century. In the first century, in Paul's day, there was such a thing as, there was the slavery that was awful and terrible, okay? There was also slavery that was voluntary. It was voluntary. His readers would have understood that. They knew it. They were living in it. And so they would have got what he was saying. People in poverty, there, there was no systems like we have today. Not really like welfare or just the kind of systems that our government has put into place to help people that are really hurting bad. So what would, what would someone do? Well, sometimes they would voluntarily commit themselves to be a person of more means, a person who had more means, to be their slave. And that way, in exchange, they would be fed and housed. Voluntary slavery. And the simple fact is that once they did that, now listen, this is, just, this is not supposed to be complicated. Paul, so Paul's just saying, listen, here's the point, I think. Once they did that, they were then, listen, they were then uh, obligated, obligated to obey their new master. Okay? Do you understand that? I'm committing myself to you to be your obedient slave, so what are they now committed to doing? Obeying them. <laughs> this is not hard. Obeying their master. And this obligation to their new master is, I think, really the basic point that Paul is making using this image of slavery. And so, what does that have to do with the fact that the Christian is never free to sin? Just think about it. Well, here's the connection as I see it. Okay, let me walk you through it. The Christian, the Christian is the one who is under the rule or power of grace. That's what they're under now. They're under the rule or power of grace, and they, as a result, have been freed from sin as their master. Sin used to be their master. He is no longer their master, which we already learned in detail when we went through Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So guess what? The Christian is no longer slave to sin. And that means, beloved, that they are no longer obligated to sin. No longer. They're not, that's not their master. They may think they're still obligated to sin, but they aren't. That's not their master. However, being under God's grace does not mean that the Christian is without a master. Remember, I said this, I think, three or four weeks ago. He is not without a master. She is not without a master. They are not free to do whatever they want. Rather, when they came to and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were placed under, they were removed over here, and taken and placed under the grace of God, and by that made slaves of obedience, or slaves obligated to be obedient to God. Huh? Huh? Did you hear that? They were made slaves to be obedient to God. And this new relationship the Christian has as a slave to obedience, you know, what it, you know what it leads to? 
Do you know what that kind of obedient, do you know what that obedient relationship to God leads to? Righteousness. It leads to righteousness rather than what would be the opposite? Lawlessness or sin. So are we to sin since we are not under the law but under grace? Do you see how crazy that question is when you start to understand what it means to be truly under grace? Are you kidding? Being under grace, we must now live for who? The Lord Christ God. We must now. Sin is no longer our master, but God is our master. He's our master. Consider this as well. If a person professes Christ, what do I mean by that? If they say with their mouths, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. Okay? They say that, but they continue to live in sin. Continue without repentance. They continue to obey sin. Even even after they have been shown what it means to be under grace. Because there's a chance that they just haven't had their thinking righted. There is that chance. There's so many Christians, they don't know any better. Now, God will work it out. He'll bring them to a place where they'll get to know better. He'll do it. That's what he does for his children. But maybe they're not there yet, so they don't know. But let's say they know now. You know now. God brought you here this morning. You know now that to be under grace means it is not okay for you to continue in sin. Rather, you must be obedient to God. But let's just say you go, whatever, and you go on continuing in sin without repentance. I'm not saying you don't sin. I'm saying you continue in it. You don't care unrepentantly. What do you think that says about who your master is? Well, I won't say it. I'll let Jesus say it. John chapter 8, 34. These are the words of Christ. Truly, truly, you can bet on this is what Jesus is saying. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a what? I, I didn't, who said that? Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Okay, good. Let me show you what Jesus said. Everyone who practices sin, that's their way of life. They give themselves an obedience to this master, thereby demonstrating who their master is, who they're enslaved to, and that is sin. I, it, would be, it would be wrong to tell someone who continues in this lifestyle to say, you're okay, you're cool, man. You're cool, don't worry about it. Grace, you're covered, baby, you're covered. You'll be all right in the end, don't worry. You profess faith when you were six, you didn't even know what it meant? Okay, you're good, it's fine. You're a Christian, yeah, sure. Your life has no change, no difference, nothing at all. You still live in sin. You're not repentant about it. It's okay, it's grace, man. You got, you got the ticket to heaven. You'll be fine, don't worry about it. A lie, 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 lie. And not just any kind of lie, a terrible lie. Not, see, Jesus is a lover of sinners because he tells them the truth. He's a lover of sinners because he tells them the truth. 
That brings me to the second statement that we need to understand and apply quickly. We're just going to, we'll come back to this, okay? Just finish it off. Romans 6, 17 through 18. Look at the text. So this is what I've said, but listen, my Christian reader, Paul says, but thanks be to God. All praise be to God. Because we know, we know it's only because of God, only because of him, what he has done, that this is so in your life. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We'll look at that more next week. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Beloved, just this morning, so that when you... Because I want these things to go together in your mind. And then as you come back next week. Here's two simple but very important questions that you can answer right from the text. Okay? Here they are. If you're a Christian, who were you before you came to Christ? Look at the text. Who were you before you came to Christ? Slave of sin. Let's do it together. Who were you before you came to Christ? That's right. Who have you become as a result of committing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? Who have you become? Right? Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. And when you forget it, recall Romans 6, that is who you are now. That is what you're obligated to do, to obey God. We are under a new master, beloved. We are under a new master, and that should, but Paul is saying that should change how we think, and it should change how we live. We are, maybe you'll remember this, maybe you'll remember this, it's something like this in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, We are not our own. Did you know that? As a Christian, you're not your own. You're never your own. You belong to someone. Either you belong to sin and the devil, or you belong to God, and you're under his righteousness, his righteous rule. You're under his grace. We are not our own, but beloved, we have been bought, bought, purchased with a price. What price was that, beloved? It was the blood of Christ. It was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He purchased for himself a people on that cross. He made that transaction. He bought them so that they could continue in sin and say, we're cool. We're under grace. What a perversion of the gospel. No, our righteous Lord bought his sinful people that he might make them righteous by placing them under God's grace. Wow. And because we've been bought with a price, we must no longer use our bodies to serve sin, right? We're not our own, but we must use them to serve the Lord. We'll finish up next week. Will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we... These are really... These are life. They can be if we will, if we will but believe them. 
If we will but apply them, they, they are meant to be life-transforming truths for us, truths that bring peace, joy, and contentment into our lives, rather than what sin brings us, havoc and ruin and misery and devastation and ultimately separation from you, God. Father, help, help us. Help, help our minds be transformed this morning. I, I, I pray that we would get this, that we would just soak in it, read it and reread it and pray your spirit, Father, that your spirit would enable us to believe what is here, to, to live according to it, to walk in light of these great truths. We are under grace. Therefore, we have been set free from that horrific, tyrannical sin master whose only purpose was to ruin and destroy us. We've been set free from that and placed under your sovereign care, Father. We are now slaves to you. That is who we are. That's who we must be. But this relationship is not a, is not a detrimental relationship. We think of slavery, maybe we think that's awful, that's terrible. But not this one. This one is beautiful and wonderful. I want to be in this type of relationship where God is my master and I am his slave. Because it is this type of relationship that brings sanctification and in the end, eternal life. Father, help us to get this. Help us not to twist or pervert grace as, as has been done by so many. Going all the way back to the first century and even to this day. People using their salvation to justify their sinless and godless behavior. And, and we don't... Father, help us not to cast judgment on that and stand as judges over them, but just to... To, to be heartbroken for that. Heartbroken. That's not how they should live. That's not how you intended them to live. And we know if they continue to live like that, the, the outcome is horrific. May we tell people what grace is really about. May we give them the truth. May we, may we contend for the faith. May we fight for it. May we show our brothers and sisters in Christ a better way. The right way, the way according to your word, and what it really means for us now that we are under your grace. In Jesus' name.